0: Welcome to Got Punctum, a podcast exploring visual culture, creative practice, and the photo bookmaking process. Here, I interview contemporary photographers, critics, and curators. My one-to-one conversations are always candid and unscripted and come with hyper-linked resources available on our episode notes and on my website jsybillasmith.com, under In Conversation on Navigation. Today, I bring you my conversation with Diana Carlin, who courageously investigates a taboo subject, maternal regret. Carlin traveled to several countries to document what I call a continuum of ambivalence, of nine mothers. In image and interviews, she has made visible the vast chasm between the idealized tropes of motherhood and the unpaid, poorly supported, labor-intensive job of bearing and raising children. I'm glad you're here. Welcome, Diana. I am so pleased to have you as my guest on Got Punctum. When I learned of your publication, I was intrigued and excited. This was a puzzle piece in the cultural conversation of our times. I'm so curious as to how you decided to basically shed light, introduce a spotlight, crack open possibilities for investigation, exploration, and in so doing, become a participant in a form of dismantling the narratives of all narratives. Motherhood, as the curators of the book and the traveling exhibition, Designing Motherhood, state, motherhood is myriad it sits at the center of so many axioms. And when I'm thinking of my subject matters, I often look up words. So I wanted, I knew it was happening, but I wanted to define axioms. And that is an axiom is something we consider a thought that is fitting or worthy, a role or a principle that is accepted as true. And in this particular subject matter, we could not have more axioms, which makes it very challenging to both navigate and uncomplicate. Um, In our conversations, I hope to shed light on your decision to approach what is actually a taboo subject, a complex, emotional, physical, economic experience, and one with ancient roots in all manner of institutions, societal, cultural, religious, and political. It revolves and potentially evolves around ever-changing individual and collective choices based on values, ethics, belief systems, power structures, medical and legal rights, with fluctuating access and opportunity. It is central to gender identities, our roles and mores. This is an area that's receiving more attention and is being challenged to expand beyond a binary view, which I think is what you have done in Undue Motherhood as well. I came up with a few ways to frame this topic as it is rife with the ability to be complicated and to lose context, it demands a specificity. Specifically because the axiom means we can go in so many different directions and in conversation and investigation, we may jump from one axiom to another. They're quite coagulated, I would say both internally and externally. So to get at it, it it demands a degree of specificity and clarification. Um, So here I want to clarify what thread we're untangling in this matrix of this hotbed of axioms. And I would define the entry point of your book is honing in on a specific thread. You went to different countries to explore with women willing to expose their thoughts and experiences on maternal regret. We are in this conversation, I hope, that we can give form to your creative process. Everything from the original idea through how your intention built, to how the frame of what to do and how to do it evolved as you were in the midst of making it happen, when and where you made the decision to make a book, and then also some of your creative choices on how you made it a book and the very thoughtful ones, even aesthetically of how you encased it and materials that you chose to use, I think are all really interesting to our audience. Um, So my podcast is about highlighting your ideas, your inspiration, your creative process, but it also wants to look at what your challenges have been, what your resources uh, that showed up or ones you innovated. Um, It's not dissimilar in terms of of a birthing process (laughs) to birth an idea as well as a person. And then once they're here and there's an object, then you have all manner of response to it. So if we have time, I'd love to, to talk about that as well. So I'm going to just open this up. I know you are a citizen of the world, which I really appreciate and would love to understand how uh, you've come to speak, I think, five languages. You you live in more than one country uh, rotating, or you can explain, and um, that you made a point to have your investigation be a global one, very specific. So I've tried to lay it out with a few parameters, but honestly, it's open to wherever we want to go. <laughs> and I'm really, really interested in, in letting you walk along the journey that you, you made. And I know it's been several years in the making. So, so bring us along with the highlights you think are important.
1: Yeah, you mentioned birthing process. I think it it does feel like my second baby to be honest. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. I am uh, sure it does. Yeah. Uh
1: well probably I'll start by explaining who I am and um like you mentioned my my multicultural background. I do come yeah. from many places um, I was born in the Soviet Union still in Moscow
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then I moved when I was 20 I moved to Germany and I did all my studies in Germany basically and then uh, I was doing some internships in Spain so kind of for the for the past 20 years Spain and Germany have been my two base countries mm-hmm. um, and uh, I consider myself I think a European citizen so I can't say that I'm I, I feel particularly um you know attracted to kind of a nationality a certain nationality but i do i do share very deeply all the european values um Mm
2: -hmm. if you
1: if you insist on defining myself in terms of nationality i think european would be the most appropriate definition (laughs) and then um, my husband is mexican so i do have a very strong link to to mexico to latin america so i have all my in-laws here um Yeah, so that gave me probably a very global perspective Uh um, on the project. I was not interested in exploring only one country, um, but I was like willing to see if there are any cultural differences um, in the definition of motherhood or, you know, if the regretting mothers in different countries, they do feel exactly the same or are there any specifics, you know, to the filling. And I was very much surprised to see that the ideology of motherhood is, is indeed different. is on the one hand is 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 the same, but on the other hand, there are cultural differences in terms of what uh, in terms of expectations that are placed on the mothers. Mm-hmm. I will talk mm-hmm. about it later more in mm-hmm. detail, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and how I came to <clears throat> to this topic of motherhood. Well, obviously, I think any artistic project uh, comes from an inner place, from from a deep necessity to understand the subject. And in my case, uh, when I was in my mid-30s, I felt an enormous pressure to become a mother on all different fronts. Um, uh, Especially um, on behalf of my family, I think there was a a huge, like brutal pressure, I would say, um, Mm -hmm. to bring them offspring. But not only them. I mean, uh, this pressure—I felt it all er, in every place, also in my professional environment. Like uh, people just, you know, asked very uncomfortable questions, and uh, I hardly knew those people. So mm. all this kind of infuriated me um, mm-hmm. because I, I, I was—I I still think it's a very, very intimate, very kind of delicate decision, and I, I don't understand why people dare to ask these questions and interfere so much in this private space. Uh, so that was the trigger, and I, I wanted to understand, you know, what was behind it. I I suspected that things were not so, you know, shine and bright that they're pictured in, normally in the media and cinema and literatures, and this is why I decided to investigate, and that was mm. the, the entry point. Um, I think also, at that time, I was myself, I was on the fence. I was not against uh the idea of becoming a mother but i was not convinced so i wanted also for myself you know to understand and and make a very informed decision finally
2: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah and when i started the investigation I very quickly discovered that there's b um, b-side to the story of motherhood um, at that time when i started the project was if i'm not mistaken 2016
2: mm-hmm. early
1: early 2016 Uh, There was this book by Orna Donat, "Recreating Motherhood, which was a really groundbreaking book. I think it was the very, very first book written on the subject. And when I read it, it was like an Uh eye-opener. It revealed so many, so many questions to me, you know, questions that we don't dare to ask, you know. Uh Um, And I I thought, as a photographer, I believe in one thing. I believe that uh, things that are represented in images, start to exist in our collective imagination mm, otherwise mm-hmm. it, it's, it remains everything remains very abstract um, mm-hmm. because finally Orna's book as much as uh, as much as like it opens uh, many things for me but I, I still had this feeling it was too kind of anonymous too abstract she was talking about very abstract things and I wanted specifics I wanted to meet those real women I wanted to work with them I wanted to make images I wanted to understand you know what this regret comes from Mm. So I decided to go one step further and put it in images and uh, make a photographic project out of that. Um, yeah, this is how it all started, and I mm. dedicated five years of my life to traveling, to living with these women, and finally to publishing a book.
0: Um, how did you when you? Uh... When that all sunk through and and I did look at references um, uh, from the same book and have some quotes as well, because as I said, when you're trying to pull uh, this thread out it's very helpful to keep the stream of what it is you're talking about because there's so many intersections. But once you decided that you wanted to animate what this original book had opened up for you, revealing these questions you don't dare to ask. How did you find the people or choose the people that were willing to ask the questions, mm-hmm. to answer the question?
1: Yeah, well, I started my research, uh, obviously on the internet. It was, I mm-hmm. think, the, the very first thing I went to, to the forums, there's a uh, Facebook page, which is already very well known. It's called, I, I, um, I Regret Having Children. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how many uh, members it has, but I think it's over forty thousand already. Uh, back mm-hmm. then it was ten thousand, I remember. So I started reading the posts. I started reading the comments. Um, it was very insightful, by the way, just to understand, you know, the uh, where this regret comes from.
0: Mm. Um, Say so that was, again. It was insightful to see where the regret comes from.
1: Yeah, what yeah. is exactly, yeah, yeah. what that uh, like very early on, and this is also what Orna said in the book, it has nothing to do with children as such. So there's mm-hmm. mothers that regret motherhood, they regret the job, they do not regret their children. And it was mm-hmm. very clear for me also from the comments on this uh, Facebook page, it had really nothing to do with their personalities or who they are as, as little people, you know, they had to do <laughs> the role and yeah. the job. Um, yeah, so I started my research across those forums. Um, on, uh, I, I did find some people on Quora in the United States. Uh, so basically, how I approached those women was I, I just, you know, replied to the comments and said, "Hey, I'm doing this project and would love to talk to you if you're interested." And um, in this way, I met, if I'm not mistaken, two protagonists. And then I also reached out to uh, to friends. You know, I, I read a lot, a lot of books. Around mm-hmm. the topic, and I reached out to the authors of these books, and I asked if they knew some people that would be willing to participate in a project like that. and in this way, I also found one one mother in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so different ways. I mean uh, one came one person came to me through friends, another one came through a recommendation, uh, some others came to me through these forums and uh, communication on the internet. Mm-hmm. So different ways but i think it's more important to mention that um i didn't have to convince anyone of anything um i i, I felt that those women had a really deep necessity to talk about this because mm-hmm. it's such a taboo mm-hmm. subject they were really grateful that someone was interested in their stories and uh, since i was really generally on their side i didn't want to judge them or criticize them whatever i was really interested in understanding you know what mm-hmm. what what made them feel like that. I think in that way, I gained their trust from the very beginning. And this is how we started working. Mm. I, was, I actually, I worked, uh, there are seven seven stories in the book. I mm-hmm. worked with nine mothers all together, um, but two mothers, um, they d- didn't make it into the book. We, we stopped working together for different reasons, uh, mm-hmm. but actually met and talked to many more women on, on the subject, not all of them are in the book. But they mm. help me also to, to understand that this is really not a, like you know specific cases here and there, but it's it I have really an impression a significant uh, number of women around the world do have this feeling
0: and uh, it makes me think of two things at the same time. Um, one is that I was curious if you felt the need to make a very concerted effort to dip into Particular cultures, or an array of cultures, or nationalities, or um, yeah, identities. Was 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 there some consideration of that, or once you had this pool of people you had interviewed, you you were able to see that there was a um, Enough commonality to move with a few of the cases to show the more general or mm-hmm. universal.
1: I had yeah. some. Uh, I had some lists. In my mind of countries that i was interested in exploring especially mm-hmm. well definitely united states was on my list from the very beginning because i think a lot of discourses around motherhood they come or came from the united states
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and then obviously as i'm based in europe i was interested in in different european countries and for example spain uh, and germany
2: Mm-hmm. Obviously, my, my
1: two closest countries, to uh, because of my background, uh, mm-hmm. and I knew that Germany was on the surface a modern society, but, you know, underneath, it was a really traditional society. So I was interested to explore that. And then, you know, Latin America, of course, because of my links and mm-hmm. Asia, which where I do not have any personal links, but I was interested also to see what what's going on in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um i didn't manage to find mothers in africa unfortunately um mm-hmm. and it's it's a pity because after the book was published i was contacted by several mothers from from africa uh, like really <sighs> black mothers um and i was like they, they wanted to participate in the project yeah. and said wow that's already too late unfortunately but um yeah th- that's mis- misfortune i would have loved to have a, an african black african mother mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so I guess uh, I was also looking for a certain profile of stories. So mm-hmm. many, many stories that I came across, they repeated themselves. And I just wanted to to find different aspects to
0: Yes, that's what leads me to how you chose to do seven chapters. I'm assuming that once you started to coalesce all of these uh, stories, there were certain... Uh, like almost one word descriptions of particular either feelings or experiences. And that's what started to frame. Like, I'm really interested in how, how you formulated that, because I frankly loved that about Mm -hmm. this, you know, I mean, let's put it this way. You were, you were, you dropped in, I, I use metaphors all the time. And I'm thinking of someone who's like, splunking, right? And going into a cave and you're going to have carabiners and rope because you're going into a cave, frankly, you're going into a dark kind of murky place with not a lot of light and danger in there too. Um, And so what you did, I believe in finding those ways of coalescing under, we can talk about your chapter headings, that that was a way that you were able to kind of explore in a horizontal way, the very thing you were going down deep to to find. And I can't say enough because I've brought up this uh, particular um, subject, even within my friend family groups and it is so electric. So that's where I'm super highlighting this idea of how you had to hone in your exploration and your investigation and the creative ways you found to contain it. Because mm-hmm. once it once it bleeds out into, and I'm not even gonna mention half of the things that it could, we would be lost, right? We would just be getting, it would be like kaleidoscope. We would be getting all these different patterns and viewpoints, but we wouldn't be able to stick with the one we went in to explore. So kudos for you. This was not easy and I knew it, which was one of the reasons I was so excited when I knew it was in the works. So I'm grabbing my my chapters that are sitting here. So <laughs> tell us tell us about that, how you... How those shook out, basically. Yeah, well, I, I have
1: to be honest. When I started the project, when on my first travel to Germany, I had really mm-hmm. no idea what what, what I was sure. doing. I mean, yeah, I had, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had my camera with me. <clears throat> I had an intention. I had a. I was very back then I I still felt like a deep outrage, you know, about this pressure that I felt all the time. And my first protagonist from Germany, she was, uh, this chapter is called Anger. She Mm -hmm. was in deep anger and we were both in deep anger and really, (laughs) (laughs) really wonderful things happened on that weekend um, just because the two of us wanted to to express it somehow. But I, 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 conceptually, conceptually speaking, I have really no a clear idea of what I was doing. So I was trying different ways of photographing, photographing people. Like I was, I, I tried also staging, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my protagonist or, but, but it kind of, I didn't feel was right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, did, I, I tried all like different approaches to photography itself. Sure. And then at a certain point, I just understood that for me, the only correct way to do this is just to, to stick to documentary style of mm-hmm. photography and be really neutral or try to be really neutral and just you know document and photograph uh everything I was what I was seeing in their homes um so and you know back to your question about the chapters um mm. i think that came along a little bit later um when i was already like working with several mothers mm-hmm. uh, at first i just wanted to name the chapters as i don't i don't know germany uh 40 years three or four children or Spain Mm. about 18 years old one child something like that yeah Um, but then I came across uh, another book written by German sociologist and she was talking about ambivalence that motherhood is in itself um, is ambivalence and I think I do I I still think it's the best definition for motherhood at least for me Mm -hmm. Uh, so she described it as a scale of emotions Um, Mm -hmm. so in one day you can you can feel really positive feelings like <laughs> love, tenderness and stuff. And then you can feel, you know, all the negative feelings as well. And those mm-hmm. coexist on a daily basis. And for her, maternal regret was like the extreme pole of the this, of this scale. It was mm-hmm. like really mm-hmm. the furthest you can go to, but it's, it's still, you know, within the scale of emotions of motherhood. Yes. And that made sense for me. And then I, uh, you know, I, I had this idea why, wouldn't I like name the chapters according to the feelings that prevail in those mother's lives? Mm-hmm. And this became the uh, the conceptual core of the project. So every chapter I worked on was built around this one main feeling that is, um, that the mother itself described as her main feeling, what she feels at this particular moment of time. So mm-hmm. one said, for example, uh, what she felt was extreme exhaustion. Another one said that she felt isolated. Another one said that she felt anger. Another one said that she felt guilt. You know mm-hmm. um, so um, this this chapter from the Middle East unfortunately I, post- I can't name the country for for her safety this is the most sensitive one but she lives in the Middle East and um, I, I just wanted to mention this to to, to kind of Ill- illustrate how, how how I was working around this feeling so I knew mm-hmm. that in her case since we had uh, talked by email a lot about this she said i feel isolated i feel i is- uh, kind of I'm, I'm trapped in my home i'm mm-hmm. inside the home all the time um so i was working with shadows and light she was mm-hmm. always like all of her pictures are inside uh, like mm-hmm. the, the the inner spaces mm-hmm. and they are dark they're shady there's a lot of kind of yeah she mm-hmm. lives in a shadow. She, she herself has become a shadow of herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have this bright, bright light outside that is coming through the windows. And I was, I was like, you know, trying to explore that, that, mm-hmm. in, that image all the time. So mm-hmm. in her chapter, there's only one uh, picture where you see her outside, and this is transition because they were moving to another apartment, and it's the only picture that would you would see of hers of, of this woman outside department otherwise in all other images she's inside always inside you know mm-hmm. um, this is just one example and uh, in the chapter of anger I worked a lot with you know red color so it was mm-hmm. like uh, mm-hmm. or things that would you would associate probably with violence or with something really strong going on you know there's mm-hmm. a picture of of blood on 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 the boy's knees um,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Things like that. So um yeah, I was trying to build a story around that feeling.
0: Um it's so interesting. I'm I'm looking and also wanting to go um back for just a second because when you said when you began you had no idea, um and and that is universal, or I would let's put it this way, I would like it to be universal, because I think that what happens in that situation is that the idea grows organically, and that that is actually where we do expand our collective imagination, because in any other form, we're already putting something out there right? That we're going to either prove or, or whatever. So this idea, I think that's why creativity takes courage, right? You, you don't have a roadmap, you have an intention, and you don't even know how you're going to tell the story. And thank you for being so specific about how you did that once those coalesced emotions started to seem like the right way to, to take apart this piece of, of the package called regret. Um, then you started to grapple with the abstraction of how to animate it or activate it. And you went into using association uh, and potentially metaphor the woman was a shadow of herself. So you were photographing her in shadow. So those are the things from my concept aware framework perspective that I just jump up and down about because that's the way in which you layer your intention and your concept and the work gets clearer and clearer um, and can be met on so many levels. So thank you, thank you for that, um, that description. You also made me think of something else. Oh yeah, I think I know the book that you mentioned because I too went backwards into some of the things that um, this kind of a search brought me to. Um, which book was that, the last one that you mentioned? Because the one was the study in 2016, the one that you said- um. A woman born of women. woman No, 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 I know that we'll talk about that. And I know that was seminal to this. But you mentioned the one where um, the woman gave you the idea of the continuum of motherhood as being uh, and the and the overriding, overriding emotion being ambivalence, and that scale of emotions, which book was that referring to?
1: Um, they also felt- say Christina Mundlos, she's a German sociologist. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly the title of the book, but it has That's something to okay. do with regretting, regretting motherhood, and then the mm-hmm. German subtitle to that. So there was a, a whole like wave of books written about you know parental yes. regret after Odin Donald's book, which like yes. I said, was the very first, was the first.
0: Uh, book written yeah. on the
1: subject. Um yeah. When
0: I'm when uh, in our episode notes, I will link because I do Splunk before I talk to people. So I was in a lot of literature. And there was literally, um, I think I got a list of I don't know how many books um, discussing you know, regretting motherhood or issues around motherhood. It's really interesting to do some Google searches and see what comes up, but then it also starts to coalesce. And and you're absolutely, I love that you brought up Adrienne Rich and that here we are literally like 50 years later working from her basis, right? Like at least we're tangible, <laughs> but thank goodness for her, like throwing that line way out ahead of us, right? And we're, we're, we're getting see- there.
1: I have to say it's an incredible book I, I I really do think it's the best book ever written about motherhood like um permits the bible of, of motherhood so if anyone who wants to understand you know the the topic should first read Adrian Rich of Woman mm-hmm. Born and then all other books uh follow um Yeah, for me, you know, one of her most famous quotes from this book was that as much as, you know, motherhood means a love-based bond with each child is also at the same time an ideology, uh, an institution, an institution she calls patriarchal uh, institution, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, based on uh, specific expectations, moral rules. uh, I call it a a codex of moral rules Mm -hmm. that prescribe how a mother should feel, think... And behave and mm-hmm. for me uh, and i think also for adrian Richer, was um, a sort of you know control instrument how to control women mm-hmm. in this role uh so that distinction um in definitions that was really also eye-opening for me it's really like spoke to me and made me understand where this oppression or where this you know maternal regret comes from mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. In the the book, I didn't want to give answers, I wanted to raise questions, and Mm -hmm. if you saw the book, it's very, um, there's a lot of, you know, blank space between the testimonies and everything. That's on purpose. I didn't want to express as an also my own opinion about the subject, Um, but I do have my own opinion and it's very strong. I do. I do think that in most of the cases, maternal regret has to do with the conditions and with this institution of motherhood rather than you know motherhood in itself.
2: Mm, Uh, mm -hmm. I'm
1: sure I'm sure there are women that, um, you know, they have the best conditions they have. you know wonderful partners, wonderful fathers of the children, they have a lot of support and still they would regret motherhood. I'm sure there are women like that. Mm-hmm. But in my research, um I would dare to say that in most of the cases that I came across uh, that had to do with the conditions and not with the role uh, yes. with the with you know With being a
0: mother and so, yes, and I think um, I did have a quote um, basically with the Adrian Rich piece. Um, She explores how motherhood is a human relationship, and motherhood is an institution, as you described. And then I think um, that that brings up some quotes that I had that I thought were super helpful in us pulling this thread through um, because what ends up happening is, uh, what I realized is looking specifically at maternal regret opened up the deep cave of maternal reckoning and reckoning what maternal or motherhood is is so huge. So it was really helpful to have some of these thinkers and visionaries give us some language and, um, and some framing, some structure, um, because of course it does open up all those other areas. I appreciated a couple of quotes that I'm just gonna bring one from your book. Um, I'm looking in my notes to see Uh, and I'm not sure which person under which country or um, chapter heading this was, but you might recognize it. And suddenly I realized that my body hadn't taken who I am into the equation. Oh my God. What I remember about that is that that woman had that thought literally in delivery. Uh, Yes. Or yeah, very r- close r- after. Right, yeah.
1: right after yeah. after giving yeah. birth. Yeah. was the story from the United States, by the way? Okay. Uh I love this boat. I, I think, Oh my gosh. Uh, <sighs> because we talk I talked with uh, to her about biological clock. Like person, mm-hmm. personally, I don't believe in a biological clock. I, I never felt it myself. So uh, I was very like suspicious. And I, <laughs> I asked all the time, like, are you sure it was biological clock? Are you sure it was not pressure on you? Are you sure in this and that? And she said, no, I'm sure it was biological clock. I, I did mm-hmm. feel something like she didn't mm-hmm. want to be a mother. She was very clear about, it, about this. And then when she was in her late twenties, like she said, um the biological clock started ticking between the ages of 26 and 28. And then all of a sudden, um, I realized that probably was time and my mom was right and I was ready to become a mother. And she got obsessed with this idea and she found the worst man to be a father of a child. Uh, they got married, they did everything properly, they planned the pregnancy, and then when she gave the birth, right after the delivery, um, she describes it really in a very touching way, she says, when I saw her eyes, my eyes, my blue eyes, I understood that I made the biggest mistake of my life, and this is where the quote comes from, she says, it's like the body uh, satisfied itself, and it didn't take into the equation who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, So although I was suspicious of this idea, I had to respect it because she was really sure about it. And uh, I thought it was a really interesting aspect also to the story that your own body, like the biological side of ourselves, can betray you. Mm -hmm. Uh, This this disconnection between the brain and the kind of, you know, maybe the, the heritage of our ancestors in the Mm -hmm. caves or something like that that come Mm at a certain point they come into play and it's it's also possible to make a mistake if you listen to your kind of biology and not to your brain Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. the brain still says you don't want to have kids you were always like the whole life you were sure about it like why 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 would you decide to become a mother all of a sudden so I thought it was really interesting
0: yeah Mm -hmm. I did too that really really struck because uh, frankly I thought all of the writing uh, the interviews were so um, frankly, unambivalent, it was really actually a space where I thought people were like, this is my truth. And you're giving me a space to share it. And I really respected that. I really respected that they were brave. And so many people, including someone who wrote groundbreaking books would not, that was in my research, can't think of who that person is at the moment, who would not go on record because she didn't want her children to encounter her thoughts on them. So it was, it's a fascinating, almost uh, confusing piece, right? Um, And then there was another woman that I met met, uh, discovered in the research that, um, and and she was on one of the forums, I think it was in the McLean's article, and I'll Mm -hmm. link to all these, where she literally, um, there's a photograph of her and her 18-year-old daughter, and she literally is saying, you know, "I I grapple with, like, I love her, and she is my daughter, and I have cared for her, and she is a huge part of my life. However, and had her other feelings, and her daughter actually had the experience of feeling protective of her mother because she got so much bad response to that. To say like you are a quote bad mother," and this eighteen-year-old is like, "No, I know her, and I experienced this." And it was what you brought up at the beginning was really peeling the um, the roles and the job. Which is highly unsupported in many, many, and I dare to say most countries, um, not supported sufficiently or effectively um, or consistently. Um, So, this idea that it is not the child or caring. It is the it is it is the groundbreaking or not groundbreaking, I'm gonna say backbreaking, the exhaustion, the isolation. Many of your titles are things that women that are primary or even single uh, caregivers feel. And you know, one of the other subjects that comes up when you talk about this is, and I I liked it, it was it was uh, deeper in my research, but this idea of um, you know, the whole discussion of what about fathers or what about parenting, this idea of care as being a human quality, not a defined by your sex organ uh, quality and how to get out of that or get further aware of that. Um, I loved that there was, so one One was a quote from one of the, um, resources that said we're learning about regretful mothers upending binary thinking that women who regret having children but must be neglectful or substandard parents it's motherhood these women regret not the children so it's this idea of peeling this apart and i also loved this supported your work um in discussing maternal regret Uh, this person was quoted, raises ethical dilemmas, but it is necessary. This is Andrea O'Reilly, a professor at York University's School of Gender, Sexuality and Women's Studies. And she has written 18 books on motherhood. And her quote is, I understand the protection of children, but if you completely enforce that, you have no mother voices telling their story and you don't want that either. So- Yeah, Uh, thanks. uh, Thanks for touching upon the subject.
1: Um, I I agree that this is probably the most vulnerable point, you know, the whole story, because, um, you know, mothers, there are children. And although children are not part of this of this book, they are not recognizable in any picture. I actually try to completely take them out of the picture and leave maybe fragments of bodies and and stuff like that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: just, you know highlighting this idea that it's not about the children as such you know mm-hmm. apart from protecting their identities and everything uh it's not about children as such it's about the job it's about the role and what we expect from that job and from that role um but i do agree that it's a quite a quite a sensitive uh point in in, in the whole project because i get you know this question mm-hmm. asked all the time and what happens if the children see this pictures or see this book you know it's certain point of time in the future. And um, I made sure that those women, either they had already told their children about regrets. So half of the stories you have uh, actual grown up kids and they know about it. And um, But you know, the other half, the children are not too small. So But they decided to, to talk about it later around in life when they're old enough to understand the difference. So it's kind of, um, it's the personal decision that everyone else, whether you like it or not, have to respect, I think, how to deal with this maternal regret. So in that sense, they gave me, you know, the permission to work with them, knowing that there's this risk that the children will see the pictures and will know the stories. Um, in any case, I try to handle it in the in the most sensitive way possible. But still, when we are talk about promotion of the book, anything that is goes beyond, you know, the interviews and, and stuff, uh, yeah. I always come back to the mothers and ask them, would you agree if I, you know, if I um, display this and that picture in that ex- exhibition or, you know, so I will always try to protect. Uh, their lives somehow um, mm. there, are, there are two stories that are quite sensitive so i'm specifically worried about those two mothers so i always talk to, uh, back to them and ask them about everything every step i do in the progression of the book but yeah like i agree with this uh, professor from australia i think if you don't talk about it it remains a taboo and how do you yeah. talk about it right yes yeah yeah so, like like i said there's this uh, book by Orna Donner which is quite anonymous and uh but for me it remains abstract it remains like oh those you know 23 crazy mothers somewhere in israel that expressed something mm-hmm. totally mm-hmm. forbidden mm-hmm. in our societies mm. I do think as a photographer, especially that uh, images has become such an important language in our times. Mm-hmm. If you don't put it in images, um, it's still, everything remains very abstract and, and anonymous, but
0: mm-hmm. it, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It. it uh, um, sorry, go ahead. You made me think of one reference, but what were you going to say, complete that?
1: Just uh, wanted to... Uh, mm, repeat again that when i was like um conceptualizing the the form of photography of how i wanted to to make those images um the most the safest way would have been probably to stage you know make stage photography basically and maybe Mm -hmm. to photograph them from the from the back or Um, something like that, but it Mm -hmm. didn't convince me. I did try that. It didn't convince Mm -hmm. me at all. I I still think the the documentary type of photography is the best and the most honest way Mm -hmm. to talk about it with the utmost respect towards women and children. Mm, Mm -hmm. But but in that way, you make the language powerful. You make people relate to the images and to the text.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the authenticity of it definitely rings true. And in my research, I don't know if it was the McLean article kind of cracked me up. It it, it juxtaposed when Beyonce was announcing her twins in an extremely staged photograph that was all Madonna and religious iconography driven. And then it had Pink, um, the singer in her kitchen, trying to make dinner with a baby in a sling at her chest and another kid on a stool. And you know, basically that kind of like, I need three more arms to actually do what it is that I'm trying to do here. And how people responded to both, right? It was like, thank you for showing me the real was how people responded to the more authentic uh, photography. Um, What you made me think of was, Well, first of all, I want to underscore how you innovated, you tried and experimented and refined and and you were looking for yourself to be satisfied and you weren't, which was that is so important that that link between you and your work, you were your guiding light. And I can't underscore that enough that you needed to be satisfied and you in satisfying that from your authentic Exploration is what makes this such a powerful piece of work, right? Stands on very strong foundation because of those choices. Um, but what you made me think of is when you talk about language being the the. <laughs> sorry, talking about photography being our our such a centralized language, um, and combining it with the documentary. Um, several years ago, I was the. Um, the guest editor of a social documentary magazine called Zeke, and I did their first women's issue and I literally postulated that women are changing the face of documentary and women I should preface that with saying a a a predominantly a way that women um, who were gendered over history as women. Did not have the same access as their male photographer counterpoint and they found other ways to tell stories and those ways were usually more intimate more private more long term. Um, And so it's an entry point that I think has been building over time, I think that you know to not make it a binary component, but to say that the social structures, the, the media structures, there was not equal access. So what I'm trying to talk about are stories like um, Stephanie Sinclair, Too Young to Wed. She went out to actually explore why are these young people young girls setting themselves on fire, emulating. And there was a link and they were getting wed at single digits to men, four and five decades older than themselves. And they literally, that was the response. So that has grown from putting that imagery out into the collective, has grown into a movement, a nonprofit actual change making actions around that so Mm -hmm. it's it's a long long trajectory but in terms of getting in there and finding the ways to put the images in front of us to contend with things we'd rather keep in the dark they're very hard they're very complex subjects and there's not easy answers so
1: and also um, mm -hmm. I wanted to say that um, I'm very happy to see the development also when we talk about motherhood images when I started Mm -hmm. the project in 2016 Mm -hmm. there were hardly any works made by mothers themselves you know, the whole imagery that we see on the social networks is basically what I call male fantasies, you know, Um, sometimes they're made by women themselves, but they're so internalized this kind of male fantasy about motherhood, which comes obviously from the very first image of the Virgin Mary, you know, Um, and yeah, so I'm really happy to see that over the past maybe six Six years. Yeah, uh, there was like, you know, a revolution in that sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, as you probably know, there's this is Project iMama uh, book um, like motherhood portrayed by by mothers photographers themselves mm-hmm. like the very mm-hmm. first one of that kind. Uh, so it's really great to see that the point of view has changed really and um, it's going to be more and more pictures coming, you know, from from mothers themselves from women.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. so
1: that was really important that was not like that when I started the project and yeah so I hope I contributed (laughs) uh, yes yes
0: to that evolution that's why I mentioned hopefully evolution in my introduction absolutely and I can tell you since I've been an independent curator I have a very thick file on motherhood and how I have been collecting the uh the work that points to it in so many ways and it's just i'm so glad to see this difference and yes that is happening and it is so interesting right the internalized views that happen and then get projected right and uh you yeah. know that- yeah,
1: this is um there's also like special special edition of the book of undue motherhood mm-hmm. which contains a pop-up uh which yes Mm-hmm. which we did out of stock images of motherhood, I call it normative motherhood. Um, mm-hmm. So when you go uh, on those um, like platforms where they keep stock images used mm-hmm. for median ads, if you like type in motherhood, uh, 90, 90% of what you would see is this like uh, white, sterile image of a smiling mother with two kids, always like a white mother, by the way, um, mm-hmm. uh, completely unrealistic, you know, Images of pregnancy, mm-hmm. with those uh, pink ribbons and and you know toys, and you see if you observe those images, there are two kind of um, tender uh, trends that you would see in those pictures. Either a woman becomes almost as a child herself, so they're portrayed with a teddy bear or with a, you know toys and and you know, somehow almost naked all the time, so I don't know mm-hmm. why, and the other trend in these images is that, mm-hmm. um, the women are dressed up in, in black, um, in, in, black, uh, how do you call it, um, what like it? Un- under, uh, lingerie? What is it? Underwear, lingerie,
0: like, exactly. yeah, 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 mm-hmm. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. on high heels and everything, so you mm-hmm. clearly see, you know, this, Either a you know an mm-hmm. angelical mother or a whore basically mm-hmm, right? in in, mm-hmm. in the state of pregnancy. So th- that is for me what I refer to as male gaze. So it's exactly you know <laughs> the images mm-hmm. that I wanted to to fight with my work as well. So this is not the real motherhood. This is not how to, how how people live it and. <laughs> yes yes Yes. the pop the pop-up is a kind of you know uh, contradiction to the whole work you you when you take uh, Mm -hmm. the sleep case the first thing you pull out is this pop-up which you
0: can play with um and then
1: you you see the real stories like the Mm -hmm. real feelings and everything
0: that's fantastic and i'm thinking about um are there um exhibitions planned or in the works or have been uh what 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 do you what do you see on the horizon?
1: There's one exhibition running right now in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Fögele Kulturzentrum. Uh, it's a collective exhibition uh, called Doing Family, which uh, the concept really great. They talk about not mm. only about you know the relationship but also about power structures in the family. Something I'm really interested in. So do motherhood is part of of this exhibition, not um, with pictures but with multimedia videos. They ask me to do. Ah. Multimedia pieces uh, for this exhibition, which I did with an editor. Um, so you can see them at the, at the exhibition. And mm-hmm. there was another one in Hungary uh, back in summer, also around motherhood. And yeah, um, we're working still, you know, promoting the book. So there will probably be, you know, new exhibitions c- coming soon. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I, will, mm-hmm.
1: I share every information on my um, Instagram. So
0: to follow uh, that, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and um, I know um, that you had mentioned uh, that you had kept an ear and were aware of how Leia Abril has been working in her multimedia documentary style on really challenging uh, topics um, in her history of misogyny. And what was interesting was I was introduced to her work probably nine, eight or nine years ago in her first book um, that actually followed a family that lost a daughter to an eating disorder. And it was, it, it was part of the shortlist for Paris photo. And it was, it was a devastating book. Um, the next thing that I learned and then encountered in person, it was actually in Austria, was her work on um, asexual people. And it was multimedia. It was mostly those were portraits and videos. So it's really interesting, you know, to see, as you mentioned, the last six years has, has, you know, we're moving the rock forward. It's just, you know, it's hard and it's, and it takes so much, Um, but it is happening in how we are able to visualize these things. I'm, you know, the the for Leia Abril, the um, she's on the second chapter um of the history of misogyny is on rape and that has been exhibited widely at the moment and was part of Paris Photo. Um so things like that where there where there's an intersectionality of audiences that is so so important. Um
1: yeah. I, I'm a fan of Lea Abril. I have all her almost all of her books um, at home. Also, mm-hmm. the history of misogyny, I think it's it's, it's just it's such a brilliant idea and um, you know, work also, especially on mm-hmm. abortion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I think, yes, yeah. it should be in every bookshelf, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wrote a review about it when it first came out. It was it's it is absolutely stunning. Um, to compile all the ways. This is again, these matrix that are so complex get us from actually being able to get to understanding because we get off in so many other directions and there's a lot of um, uh, pitfalls to having teams. You know, and it was interesting, there was somewhere again in the literature, I came across how um, parenting in in its evolution going from helicopter parents to um, there was another description of parents. And then this idea that you got into, Parenting is performance and the level of expectation and that you could have, you know, you had splits between people who were like, yes, I'm leaving the workforce because this is what I need to do versus people that are like, what do you mean you're using formula? Formula is poison, you know, like it's camps, right? And starts to be this one way over another, and then you lose the ability to actually go further or really understand what it is we're trying to to learn. Um, so there's so many pitfalls. I think you've done an amazing job in in giving us a way into this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just wanted to mention, because you mentioned also uh, a very important aspect to this work is the absence of fathers. Just gonna bring it up, but go ahead, Yeah, yeah? Um, For me, after having worked with all those mothers, I think it's one definitely one of the major reasons of regret, not only the uh not the only reason but one of the major reasons for sure and when I say absent fathers I mean either physically they left the family or they're there but the, um, they cope with this role of a bread uh, breadwinner and are not at home you know mm-hmm. um, so what happens is that a mother is abandoned literally is abandoned uh, by everyone by the husband by the father in, in the first place but also by society mm-hmm. because um, you know, if I learned anything from this project is that motherhood or parenting is such as a collective thing. Uh, mm-hmm. This famous village that is needed to raise a child. It's not mm-hmm. like only like a beautiful- uh, Metaphor. Say a metaphor, yes. but it's, it, it's real life. I mean, you yeah, do- totally you, you do need to share this job with a lot of people, you know, uh, first mm-hmm. of all, the immediate family, but then you need this tribe, you know, mm-hmm. um, otherwise, uh, as one of the protagonists said, it's just basically a nightmare. Um,
2: mm-hmm. especially
1: if you don't want to dedicate your whole life to raising children, all of my protagonists, they had their own life, their own ambitions and their old dreams. And, uh, because of that, they lost all that they lost themselves. Um, it's a total uh, self-loss because of motherhood, and this is where the regret comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to kind of highlight this idea of, of abandonment by society, by uh, mm-hmm. by the second parent. Um, and that leads us to the whole discussion of gender roles, of non-existing laws, of non-existing you know, norms and images of uh, of a different kind of fatherhood, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they care, what is called the caring fatherhood or engaged fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and um yeah, for me, that was one of the major lessons that I learned also for myself, because I, um, ironically, after having completed the project, I decided to become a mother. <laughs> but mm-hmm. on my terms, uh, so I had my red lights and everything. But it just, you know, being a mother myself, I I, I totally... I think parenting. Um, there's not so much difference between mother and father because this this also mm-hmm. the whole trend now in uh, what is called feminist motherhood. It's kind of back mm-hmm. to the basic that the mother is the mother and the father. If if he's there, that's good. But if he's not there, that's okay too. You know. But the the focus is on the mother again. You know. Um, Whereas I think we should talk about shared parenting, we should talk about fathers, we should invite them to the conversation and we should encourage them first of all, to take on this role because most of the times they're just intimidated um, even mm-hmm. if they want to to take an equal part in, in upbringing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so- that's. it was actually literally going to be what I thought would be our, our last piece of the conversation is this idea about um, that, what, People are talking about the asymmetry, the gendered asymmetry around parenting and this idea of caring as a human quality and I'm thinking back to another time I was at Paris Photo at the Institute Suido and the the main gallery was not filled with these images, but the cafe was, and it was a whole project on fathers and it was fathers caring. And it, it had a little bit of a humoristic twist to it, um, but um, obviously it was a Scandinavian country where they are highly, highly advanced for I'm, the rest of us I'm, on I'm that sh- notion.
1: I'm sure it was a project Swedish dance
0: yeah 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 yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, believe me, I think I know only two projects about caring fatherhood, photographic mm-hmm. projects. I mean, this is one of them, Swedish Dads, and another one by um, a UK photographer, Sophie Harris, I think that's her name.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I don't know any other projects of that kind, because, and like, it's a very good illustration. We have lots of projects about motherhood, especially in the, in the, in the last years, mm-hmm. and we have barely any projects about fatherhood, so
0: mm-hmm.
1: for mm-hmm. me, it's, it's obvious that the conversation should shift, you know, in another direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's interesting, this is an interesting note and I need to find a way to link to it if I can. Um, the New York Times just last week featured a um, a multimedia um, uh, presentation. I'm trying to decide if it was just on online, um, but it was literally a person who was, um Non-binary moving into transition had uh, had fathered a child and when the person was going through transition, lost the rights to parent their child, um, went into another relationship with a woman where they discussed the possibility of them both having children to form their family, and this particular piece follows that happening so that the um, birth was covered, uh, how they did that. It was done, the person that this is following is in uh, Mexico. Um, and, and, and it was fascinating, right, in terms of all of what we just discussed um, and how we are um moving moving uh and 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 how many things there are to do when you're talking about you know trans rights and you look in the united states at looking at women's rights um you know our legal and health rights um it's it's extremely challenging uh yeah. I also I also think that leads you to very,
1: very important discussions about our system as such, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, the moment when a father is not available 24 seven for jobs, you know, for mm-hmm. work, then the whole economic system must change because the economic system is still uh, based on the fact that someone at home is is taking care of the children and the elder people yes. you know, and those are women this work is unpaid and invisible and only thanks to that care work that has been done unpaid at homes uh mm-hmm. actually the other part the men they can work because mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. we all know that caring care work is work
2: mm-hmm. it's literally mm-hmm.
1: work so yes. so if we start to engage fathers um in fatherhood when they uh, have to spend a lot of time at home as well so mm-hmm. I think we we would start shifting towards pr- prioritizing you know life rather than you know money and 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 profit, mm-hmm. and 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 it's a very very deep uh, radical change I would say because all our economies all our societies they kind of uh, even you know the most advanced countries like Sweden and Norway and so on it's still like you know work is the, the most important thing and the rest is kind of you know secondary, and it's not working like that you know it's uh, mm-hmm. just anywhere you see you see a lot of. Uh, a lot of you know suffering among the parents themselves because they mm-hmm. can't they can't you know combine this the um you know work which is expected you, you know you're expected to work as if you didn't have children and you you are uh you know the children also like mm, they require a lot of time so how, yeah. how do you combine those two lives together right and yeah. the the lures and you know how uh, the, the whole mentality of work is not um it's not taken into account that there's also this invisible care work at home mm-hmm. that must be done as well. mm
0: mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's so interesting because um in truth, I think I might've mentioned this one other time on the podcast. Um, I have a master's in social work and I wrote a paper in graduate school that was called all is fair in love and war, but what about work? And this was decades ago and it was all about comparable worth and pay equity. And I actually gave it as a paper at a national conference. And my premise was that until we share parenting, we will have no economic equity. Um, totally, I so, totally agree. We're we're crawling forward. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I am so so pleased. It was really interesting. You definitely gave me a massive challenge because because there's so many other things that we could talk about or shed you know a a, a light on, and I really wanted to. St- It's like you cut a knife into the matrix to go in, and I wanted to follow that knife. And I had to get, you know, I had to get through a lot of layers. And getting through the layers wasn't easy, right? Because there's so much input coming from so many different directions on all the ways that we think about this and experience about this and allow it to be given air and voice and image. So um, kudos, I'm very excited that you got this far. I do take to note, I hope that you have the ability to follow up with the women that were African that said, please include. So I hope that that's another iteration. I think that's, I'm so glad that people reached out. Um, You know, maybe again, it's a collaboration. Um, uh, And you know looking at who's telling whose story and how mm. a, a further exploration of that yeah to,
1: to be honest i think for now i'll, I'll leave uh, motherhood for a while <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, it's so funny I, I i don't mean to interrupt but i but thought about I, that after five years you probably are like oh my gosh i need Brain yeah, space.
1: but, but I, I can share with you that I started yes. working on another project, which is about engaged fatherhood, exactly because I ah, think perfect. But, yeah, it, because I think uh, those two things are totally related, and I'm really tired of not seeing fathers talking, and nobody's giving them space to talk about their feelings and their mm-hmm. frustrations and everything. So it's really, I think, it's high time that men talk for themselves, because somehow. Mm-hmm. I consider myself a feminist, but somehow feminists, they talk in their name as well, you know, um, but which does not bring us any further. So we, yes. think we should give them also an opportunity to talk for themselves.
0: Absolutely. It's so interesting you say that because when you mentioned the idea of a village, I have never, um, when I became a uh, mother, I have never lived in the same state uh, in the United States with any of my primary immediate family, my siblings or my parents or my in-laws, et cetera. So um, the forming of my tribe came out of all the things I did as I was pregnant, whether it was prenatal yoga, et cetera. And it truly became my tribe. And I said, I don't know how I would have done this without you, I really don't. And we are two decades later still Part, you know part of each other's lives, and our kids' lives were intertwined and it was really, really outstanding but the last anecdote i 'll tell you, which was comical is um uh my one class it was at an organization that doesn 't exist anymore in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, but it was um it was all based on on aspects of um maternal health. And so um, they were having a breastfeeding class and it happened to be at night. And my husband had heard over all these months that I'd met these women and gotten to know them. And we were all at different stages within weeks or months of each other's due dates. And he's like, you're having a really good time with this. I'd love to get the dads together. And for the breastfeeding class, they did. And it was, yes, they all got together at our house and it, the men had never had that opportunity and they continued, you know, they became friends and this idea that they could actually even venture to, to talk to somebody also going through that huge identity change um, in relationship. Yeah, huge, needs to be more of it, for sure.
1: I saw a documentary about Swedish dads, actually what's going on in Sweden mm-hmm. because they are really, really advanced in, in this question and they mm-hmm. have uh, since, seems to me that they have these daycare groups for fathers on paternity leave and you can really see in that documentary like young fathers with their very small children uh, you know singing together and everything and i showed this piece to my husband who is a very very engaged father and he's from mexico like i said so he, mm-hmm. he saw that and said well that's unimaginable in in my native country that's mm-hmm. really you can't imagine that man You know, so someday we'll start doing that. So there's a long long road
0: to go. (laughs) Yes, yes. And but it pops up and it's it's it is long. Um it's that whole arc of justice. We just came through Martin Luther King weekend here in the United States and his comment of the arc of justice, it's long. And this is justice too. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, thank you so much for your time, for all of this. And as I mentioned, we do do an episode note that has the resources. So let's confer on that because we've got rich ones.
1: Super. Thanks for having me. That was a pleasure.
0: You're very welcome. Take care.
1: Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to our latest Got Punctum episode. We so appreciate when you follow, rate, and review. We love to hear your feedback. I'm going to share one whose title is Yay for Something Different in Photography. Thoughtful interviews and conversations. Sibylla is clearly prepared for each guest but still lets the conversation unfold organically. And I love that she gives the artists so much space to express themselves. Somehow, each time I listen, there is some little surprise bit of information or wisdom that fits perfectly with what I've been thinking about. Moments that make me smile or say yes. Whether I know the artist or not, I learn something each time I listen. Grateful for the dedication of the Got Punctum team. That's from Girls Takes Photo, and we are grateful for you. Thank you so much.